Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another exciting episode of Cast Dice. My name is Old Man Morin, and this is a podcast that explores aspects of the gaming industry that are new or that are happening, um, that people are talking about, or the games that myself or my guests are playing. Um, I'm the only constant on this show, uh, but I do like to bring on people from around the world to talk about different games that, you know, spark interest. Usually those games are tabletop games, but tonight we're going to sort of straddle the line, so to speak, and we're going to talk tabletop, but we're also going to talk a little something else. So I'll just leave that little morsel, and then I will introduce our guests, and we'll come back. Now, my first guest is, a couple of episodes ago, I had on one of my old clubmates, the Golden D6, as we were called. And we were a force to be reckoned with, quote-unquote, in the Melbourne Warhammer 40,000 scene for quite a while. Um, one of uh, tonight's guests was one of my clubmates, not Al, a different one. Uh, maybe one of the most talented sculptors and just hobby god um you would have seen a picture on through our facebook of a space marine that he sculpted for me once now he sculpted a battle scene with a a, a guy with a toga and a spear fighting a giant snake coming out of the ocean on the chest plate of a 28 millimeter space marine yes that miniature tim Beatty. Hobby God, welcome to Cast Dice. Thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, you're a bit too kind there with your opening uh, introduction, but um, thank you for, for being so kind. Uh, that was that particular battle scene uh, inspired by the uh, Iron Snakes uh, novels from the 40K universe. Um, right. was a particularly fun challenge. Um, possibly one of my... Um, uh, most intricate uh, works, but uh, I don't think I've done anything so great since. <laughs> I, I beg to disagree. I have seen your armies and your army projects. Um, you were doing a, a Death Watch Space Marine army at one point, Tim, where you were doing individual sculpting to the minuscule dreadlock level and chains and tabards on every single character and i don't mean character as in like general character i mean every person in the army was a character um and you were showing me pictures of this and you're like yeah it's okay i'm like no, no it's not normal this is amazing um you are truly amazingly talented at with green stuff at a minuscule level well thank you uh, unfortunately uh, it doesn't extend to my uh, motivation to painting because I've got so many models that are sculpted but never painted. They're just still sitting in, in my ever-expanding uh, collection of of models in the cupboard. <laughs> oh, brother, I, I, I think we all have that problem. Um, we are also joined by another friend who is sitting in the background listening to uh, me grovel at you. Um, let's bring on our other guest. Uh, I have also been a member of a, another club, uh, the Hampton Wargaming Club, and that was the Wargaming Club that I was a part of for uh, Warhammer 40,000, uh, sorry, Warhammer Fantasy Battle, not uh, 40,000, 
Um, you, some of you might have heard me back in the day when I was part of the Dwellers Below. Of course, all of those guys met at the Hampton Club. Um, and the guy who brought me to the Hampton Club uh, is one of my best friends. And when I DJ, uh, is always my number two on the turntables, or I he number two. Um, we trade off sets. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Drew McLean. What's going on? Good evening. Uh, not much. I'm, I think I've probably sort of sat in the background of a couple of new recording sessions in the past for, I don't know, I don't know which shows, but um, that's the first time I've had a, an introduction, so to speak. So that's thank right. you. Now, both, I was going to say, Drew, this is your first podcast um, with officially, although you have popped into the background of several LRDGs in the past while I was recording with folks elsewhere. Uh, And Tim, this is your first ever podcast. So I I really want to take the time to welcome both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Drew. Hi, Tim. Now, um, Drew, uh, people may be familiar with your phenomenal. Now, I, I'm, I'm plugging on about Tim sculpting, but Drew, you have a very different sculpting style, and you are able to mass produce really impressive sculpting jobs in a really quick manner. Um, people would probably know your work if you've ever seen the sculpted uh, pirate ogre army for warhammer uh, fantasy battle that is now making uh the rounds quote-unquote on all the kings of war uh, um, facebook pages um often plugged by mike crow um one of the big local uh names in kings of war that was your army and you're still doing commission work for it i I sold the army um about 18 months ago now and kind of Part of that was was an agreement that I would sort of continue to work on that army after selling it. Uh, and I'm actually painting figures for that army right now. There you go. Well, man, that army was beautiful. And then you followed it up just after that um, with another army that just blew my mind. And it was you took the notion of orcs and you, you sculpted them to look like Wood elves, yeah, down to the 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 mage that's sort of rising up in a in a crucifix form with the vines wrapping around um, his legs. Like it's it's a truly amazing conversion job to look like the official Citadel miniatures. Um, and it of course everything's orc sized, so you had to do it all in green stuff. It's it just looks amazing. Um, all those those that those six dead wood elf figures when they when they first started doing all those floaty floaty elves um i really liked those models so um that was something i really wanted to do with that army was to to get all of those characters into the orc army orc and goblin army as many as i could in different different ways so i had like orcs goblins uh even had a giant with the as the sort of um the with the bow so mm-hmm. the, the, the wood elf lord with bow i did a giant to look like that and you use that as a bolt thrower in the game, is that right? Uh, stone thrower. Stone thrower, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. I was going to say, it's a, it's a little big for a bolt thrower. <laughs> it's an actual Citadel <laughs> giant that's modeled to carry a giant bow. Um, it looks a little bit it's like good. the green arrow meets um, the Wood Elf Lord. It's amazing. True. 
Uh, sorry for interrupting there, guys, but man, Drew, I loved your pirate army, but I didn't know that you'd done an, an orc flavored wood elf style army that you green sculpted yourself. Man, I got to see pictures of this. I've got to say about stuff like yours. I haven't seen a lot of your stuff, to be honest, Tim, because we, we don't really, I don't think we've ever played the same systems. So um, I'm, no, I'm I, fairly unsure your work. Yeah, I was mostly um, focused on 40k. And you were heavily into the fantasy, so there wasn't much crossover at the time. No. Well, I think this might be a nice segue for me to get pictures of both of your work and to put them up uh, through the Cast Ice Facebook page so everyone can see pictures. Because as uh, I have proven a million times in the past, podcasting makes for very bad picture descriptions. (laughs) Here, I'll hold up a picture to the microphone for you. Yeah, there you go. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm loving the detail there. So green, so crisp. I'll describe it. There's, there's two green pixels in the... No. Exactly. <laughs> right on. Well, um, as much as I want to talk sculpting, I think we need to take a, a quick break, and we actually need to get to our main topic. So... What we're going to talk about tonight, as I said, is something that straddles a couple of hemispheres of gaming. The first, of course, being video games. Um, what we're going to talk about tonight is, is, is a universe that was originally created, a world, so to speak, uh, for a video game. And it has mutated and spawned several, many, five official um, versions at this point. And that would be Fallout. So if you think Fallout, think post-apocalyptic America, except it's sort of Mad Max meets Norman Rockwell. So you have like the 1950s idyllic America, um, that, and that's what sort of the wasteland is made up of. But everyone's been in a bomb shelter or has been highly irradiated and turned into some super mutant or... Um, you know, flesh-eating ghoul, uh, feral ghoul that hunts you down that looks a lot like a zombie. Um, and so everything's old, everything's rusted, everything's fallen to pieces, uh, and yet there are still cars all over the roads, and there are still houses that are falling in, but where the radio is still on and is still, you know, miraculously has power, and, you know, there's, there's radio towers throughout the wasteland that are playing circa 1950s music. Um, you find, you know, circa 1950s wigs, like pompadour wigs, and you find these old suits. And it's just this this cross between almost horror of just the horror of the apocalypse mixed with this really weird sense of humor, um, really dark, bloody sense of humor, but quirky at the same time. It's the most cheerful awful i can think of um drew you introduced me to this series by giving me new vegas back in the day uh, what what drove That's... what what took you to the wasteland the first time oh, i've been playing uh i played i played the like all, all of the major installments except some of those weird spin-offs um before three um so i played one two three new vegas and four um i I thought about you when I was playing New Vegas because of all the fifties and, and particularly Elvis references. So that's what I thought. That's what I thought of like battle like this. Um, I never played wasteland, which is like the, the spiritual um, origin 
mm-hmm. for Fallout. Uh, and I haven't played Wasteland 2, which came out quite recently, which was, was a sequel to the spiritual origin for, for Fallout. Um, but yeah, so I've been playing Fallout for quite a few years now. Now, the, um, the first two Fallouts were sort of top-down strategy games where you sort of were trying to survive escaping from, you know, this vault underground where you survived the blast, and now you are trying to, you know, survive other survivors and mutants and mutated animals and get out. Um, is that right? Yeah, it was, it was the first two were sort of more of a uh, turn-based RPG, or it, it was it was real time until you got to combat and then it went to turn based. Um, you, you you typically played by yourself, but also could quite readily recruit a party to, to follow you around, and you had sort of limited control over how the party would react. But you, you couldn't sort of directly control other members of the party. Right, and then Bethesda Gaming sort of took control of the property and made Fallout 3. Um, why don't you tell us what changed with Fallout 3? Because the game all of a sudden mutated, so to speak, into this this completely different animal. Yeah, they so they... It, I mean, they. it seemed like it followed um, what Oblivion had done a few years ago, which was to turn into a sort of first-person RPG with, with a kind of third-person option, but still much closer and much more... Uh, personal than the original Fallout games, which was sort of sort of distant isometric isometric view, whereas Fallout was either Fallout 3 was either first person or you know, over the shoulder kind of third person. Right. Um, the setting was the setting was virtually identical. Um, obviously you saw a lot more because it was first person. And so a lot, a lot a lot more of that black was filled in that you never saw when it was top down. Right. Um, but the story was virtually unconnected to the first two games because it was set on the uh, East Coast, whereas the first two games were exclusively West Coast. That's right. And the third one takes place in Washington, D.C. So, um, and it and it almost feels like, and from what I've read, is this, the third um, New Vegas, which used the same engine as the third, and Fallout 4, which was my personal favorite because it takes place in my hometown of Boston, um, not to mention, well, the music of New Vegas, don't get me started. So good. Um, but those three games were massive, just grand on a scale. Um, uh, for those of you who are familiar with Skyrim and who don't know Fallout, um, I don't know who that would be. Um, Skyrim was famously this great big fantasy exploring role playing game that was touted to never finish. Um, Skull, uh, sorry, Fallout is literally by the same people, the same development studios, and uses the almost identical engine, um, and is equally, um, just they've built such a rich and interesting world to go explore. Um, I'm famously not a video game guy outside of like circa 1980s Nintendo games, um, that were in Japanese, not even in English, weirdly. But you gave me Fallout New Vegas, and I went yep. from being a guy who literally had an Xbox, had never turned it on, really. I played like 15 minutes of it, to, ha- to clocking almost 100 hours on Fallout New Vegas in the matter of mm-hmm. you know a month or a month and a half. 
It was crazy. Um, it, it, the game is completely immersive, and you can really lose yourself in exploring this vast wasteland and going on these quests. And the way that you interact with the other characters was legitimately role-playing in, in, in its own sense. Um, you develop your character down a particular path, almost like a class, um, and the more you do certain things, the more you develop those skills. And you really do become these characters to a degree. Um, and it really starts to mess with your head after a while. Um, Drew, did you have that experience as well? Um, I guess I'd, I'd never, probably had, I hadn't tabletop role-played before I ever played any Fallout games or any, or any computer RPGs. Um, so I guess I, I didn't have that to compare to, but I was certainly drawn in by the world and the, and the, and the people, the NPCs in the games and the, and the, uh, just the scope of things you could do, um, uh, without sort of being too much of one of those. Uh, I played Fallout one. I'm better than, it's better than Fallout three. Like I don't want to be one of those, but I found Fallout one and two, I found the character interactions to be sort of, even more in depth if that's possible, but the maybe the world setting wasn't quite as rich as the as the third mm. person entries, just because of sort of the detail you see from a first person perspective is, is so much brighter. Definitely, I could see that. I haven't played one and two, but um, I, I have heard quite a lot about them. I I just feel like the the scale of Fallout New Vegas and especially the scale of Fallout Four. They're just huge environments that you can explore and get to know. And um, I got the feeling that Fallout 1 and 2, you could finish in a matter of, you know, maybe not hours, but you could finish it realistically maybe within a week if you, you know, were systematic about it. Whereas Fallout 4, you're going to be there for a while. I think with I think with the early ones, there might have been fewer locations and encounters but the, the variety of ways you could complete each encounter was probably greater. That was my experience. Okay. But the, I mean, sense. definitely the world. World one and two were both physically larger, but that's just because they were set over kind of a a, um, a a map that would take sort of day, days to traverse, but would have you know, miles and miles of nothing in between locations. Whereas um, Fallout Three, New Vegas, and Four were all quite dense. Um, so the same the same kind of number of things to do, but within a walkable area rather than the originals, which was sort of, yeah, we take you days to cross. Right. All right. So I, I do love these games and I have been playing fallout Four this vacation. Um, I enjoy it quite a bit, uh, especially the bits where I get to walk around downtown Boston and look at all of the, the landmarks that are very familiar. Um, given that, you know, when I used to go, my dad and I would drive in to pick up my mom from work you know, several, if not every night during the week is my childhood because uh, my mom worked in downtown Boston. I got to know the sites and the streets, uh, particularly of, you know, down by the state house, the, uh, the, the, the freedom trail. I mean, you name it. It's, it's all there. Um, just, just looking at Faneuil Hall, that whole area. My mom lived or worked across the street from Faneuil Hall, and of course, that's the location in the game. And every corner I turn when I'm playing uh, Fallout Four, I go, "Oh yeah, oh I know where this is. Oh, that's that's clever that they did that." Down to the, you know the, the metro station under the pond, and you go, "Oh yeah, that's right, I know that." Sorry, Drew, um, I cut you off there. Yeah, yeah. 
So Fallout 4 was, was I found that really dense, and I uh, some people say it's a detractor, but I quite, I really liked it. That's I right. thought the the scope of that game was was really good. Have you finished it yet, bro? No, I'm taking my time. Okay. Uh, I'm hoping to get there someday, but um, you know. I, I'm trying I not, also not to have it suck up my vacation completely because I may have done less hobby last uh, Christmas time and less podcasting because I spent more time playing Skyrim and I'm hoping not to let that happen this time. Um, but yeah, I, that was my, I think yep. I think Fallout Four sucked my summer was it two summers ago maybe, but yeah, yeah, it definitely took a lot of time. Now it has been out for a number of years, um, and Fallout Four that is, uh, and all the. Uh, downloadable content all the extras are long gone um you can get them all of course and you know they're selling them cheap now and i really do enjoy the game and i re- if you're if you're into a computer-based game um i i recommend it um although you know if you're gonna go in for surgery and you're not gonna be mobile for six weeks it's a perfect game um i do warn you though it sucks up time like literally nothing i've experienced um and i've experienced Quite a few hobbies that suck up a lot of time, and um, yeah, it's brutal. It is, however, a lot of fun. I think every game that Bethesda, Bethesda's put out since I started playing them with Oblivion, maybe has has been a real time sink. Like, I I would spend like a summer on each of those games, probably more than I want to spend. But anyway, they're good fun. Yeah, they are. Now you might you might meant you might realize that we haven't really talked to Tim about this. Tim, you haven't played Fallout at all, have you? No, I haven't. I haven't played it at all. Uh, I remember when the first Fallout came back, came out, I should say, back in, uh, I think it was the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember uh, seeing the advertisements for it and seeing it in the video game store, um, but never actually played it. Um, not for any other reason than I just never got around to it because I certainly love strategy and role-playing games, but um, never got to play this one. Which, by the way, I, I got to say, I loved your uh, description of it back at the start, um, combining the imagery of the iconic Happy Family paintings of Norman Rockwell mm-hmm. with the gritty anarchy of Mad Max. Love it. <laughs> that's a great way to, to describe the game. Um, but once again, that's from me not ever actually having played it, except for the ah. board game, which we played recently. Thank you very much for that beautiful segue, sir. So uh, one of this year's big Christmas items um, that I know a lot of gamers that I talk to were really excited about Fantasy Flight Games doing a Fallout board game. Um, now, Fantasy Flight is not, a, are not new when it, it comes to doing licensed games. Of course, they do Imperial Assault, um, Mansions of Madness, um, which is a Cthulhu-based game that, of course, uh, I've talked about on this podcast before. Uh, When I talked about it before, the people I was playing with were Drew and Tim and my wife and uh, Drew's wife. So we can talk about that if we like. Um, But they have done quite a few wonderful games. Um, The the list goes on and on. Um, They did the Firefly game, didn't they, Drew? Uh, no, that was Gale Force 9. Uh, so, no, they didn't do Firefly. But Gale um, Force and, um, Gale Force and uh, Fantasy Flight, I think, had a partnership at one point. I may be making that up. Anyway, uh, I just right. realized I'm thinking of something else. So, never mind. I didn't say that. 
Um, but so, I, as a fan of the video game, I was very excited to play the Fantasy Flight game because Fantasy Flight does a good job with titles. Uh, and so, having played Mansions of Madness, having played Firefly, um, we got the, the band back together and we sat down and we played Fallout, the board game. Now, uh, uh, Tim is here as our uh, every man who has not played Fallout before. If you are interested in his opinion of whether or not it's a good game, not knowing the Fallout universe. Drew is here as our resident. I've played a crapload of the Fallout video games, and I'm your friendly neighborhood host who owns the game. So tonight we're going to talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, um, and whether or not we think this game represents... Um, faithfully represents the Fallout experience on the tabletop. Um, now, just to quickly begin, um, I'm going to quickly talk through a little bit about how the game works. Uh, unlike the video game, where you always play the vault dweller, someone who's been in one of the vaults um, you know, after the bomb drops and has been um, living and surviving or has been in stasis uh, and has then come out, in this game, you can play a number of classes um, from different parts of the, uh, the world. So you can play a super mutant. You can play a ghoul, not a feral ghoul, which are the zombie types, um, but just a regular ghoul who kind of looks like a, a corpse with no nose, um, with heavy burns. You can play someone who's called the brother, well, from the Brotherhood of Steel, so imagine that as a soldier in giant power armor like a space marine uh, with a giant gatling. Um, you can play the vault dweller, which is, of course, the character from the video game. Or you can play f um, using a character called a wastelander. Now, the wastelander is just one of those people that has survived in the wasteland, um, you know, scrounging uh, or making a living one way or another. Now, um, as the game starts... There are a number of different scenarios you can play. Now, I know several people have spoken to me about, does this game represent Fallout in general, or is it specific to Fallout 4? Um, now, uh, the most recent game, of course, being 4, is set in Boston. But as we said a minute ago, 3 was set in Washington, D.C. Um, the mission cards definitely uh, correspond to both. Um, there are several missions you can play, and by missions I mean different ways to set up the board with different um, features. Uh, so you have, one of them is the Commonwealth, which is Boston uh, from the video game, Far Harbor, which is one of the areas that the Boston game can be expanded into. Um, you also have The Pit, um, which is from Fallout 3, and the Capital Wasteland, which of course is Fallout 3. Um, and, of course, there are different locations that change depending on the way you set up. Now, the, game you, the game's board is set up using a, a variety of large um, hexagonal tiles that you put down. Now, most of them are face down, so you don't actually know what's on them. And as you explore, you flip them. And that's one of the actions your character can take. Now, by doing that, you really do get that notion of exploring the unknown. And you're looking for things, but you don't know where it is. Um, but several of them, usually there's five or six locations per board, um, that are already flipped. And so you might know where the crossroads camp is, or you might know where the bridge is, or you might know where Megaton is. 
um, the town of Megaton or downtown Boston or Diamond City. So as you explore, you can head in a particular direction to find some of these big locations. But along the way, you'll have no idea what you'll run into. Um, and I thought that was a really clever mechanic. Um, and the way that the scenarios are set up within the game, um, there are different factions depending on which board you're playing on. And that plays in as well. Um, but really quick, how did you guys find the board mechanics and as far as exploring and checking out new things and that sense of the unknown? Um, Tim, let's start with you. What did you think of it? I really liked it. Uh, the, having the parts of the board that you flip over uh, really lent itself to, like you mentioned, that air of discovery and in some ways fear because after only the very first couple, you realize that on many of these uh, sections of the board, when you explore into them, there's monsters in there that might attack you. So you very quickly learn that. Uh, and that adds another aspect to it. Uh, something else I really like was that you did know where the major parts of the world environment were. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like you were going in totally blind, you knew, you know, if you want to role play it, it's kind of like you know the history of the area, but you just don't know what's in between now that you've spent X number of centuries underground in a in a in a vault. Uh, so that that was, I thought, really atmospheric and really a good part of the game. Another thing I'd like to mention just briefly on where it feels like this game is set. You mentioned, for example, Boston and Washington and some elements of that. Not having ever played any of the video games, uh, I just felt like it was a wasteland. Like there's a few hot spots of activity or bastions where people have been holed up for a while, but it didn't really feel to me like any particular location that I knew about. Mm -hmm. But that's fine because it just felt like really weird and otherworldly because it's a radioactively um, barren wasteland that I now have to go back out and explore. Um, so that made it very atmospheric, to use the same word again, uh, as uh well. Yeah, I, I loved, I think atmospheric is the perfect way of describing that. The whole, the, the whole feel of it is that it is a wasteland. And I know that that is a, a word that is used a lot in, you know, people describing the game. But I think it's apt, and I think it, it describes what's going on. I mean, it, and it is exactly like you said, there are some big things, and then everything around it is, you might run into something, and you're going to have encounters out in the wastes with people who are out there, but... Man, um, not the, you know, it's not the megalopolis that the East Coast of the United States is now, where there's everything. There isn't, you know, an empty spot of land to put a postage stamp down between, you know, Maine and, you know, Washington, D.C. There's this whole big, I mean, everywhere you go, there's something. Um, and But this gives you a little flavor of that if it was everything's wrecked. Um, Drew, having played Fallout, did you agree with how that mechanic worked? Did you like that, or did you want to see it go a different way? Yeah, it kind of. So, I mean, looking at the map, it was the same sort of scale as the as the latter games. So, you know, you're looking at 
locations within a single city, or that's how it seems. But um, the way the encounters are kind of spread out, and you only kind of got a summary of the encounter rather than a you know, interacting with it. That made it feel a little bit more like the original Fallout games, and that you 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 kind of the you're deciding which locations on a map to visit rather than how to proceed within each location. If that makes sense, it does. And um, um, so, and to be to be so clear, map- give me one second. To be clear, each one of the hexes that I talked about is divided into multiple pieces so even though you flipped a piece and you've moved into it there's still a lot of area to explore within each one of the tiles um i wasn't sure if i explained that before sorry go ahead i hope i didn't just say what you were going to say i was just going to say the 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 tiles really could represent any scale you want so so the tiles could represent neighborhoods within a city and make it make it play like um fallout three or four or they could represent uh a location in a broader wasteland and make it play a bit more like Fallout 1 or 2. Um, I don't think there are any Fallout... Well, I don't think there are any West Coast locations in the board game from what you've described. There but, isn't. Nope. But probably fit that in with a with an expansion pack um, without too much difficulty, I would say. Agreed. Um, Bethesda did three and they did four, um, but they... Someone else did... Um, a different, yeah, did New Vegas. Um, so I'm not sure they oh, have. And, and, and Sorry, what's that? They also did one and two. Like I think Interplay did one and two, and staff from Interplay under some other company did um, New Vegas. Exactly. I'm thinking. Um, I well, I'm thinking. I'm wondering if they have the rights to New Vegas. I would love to see, um, much like they've done with a lot of their other board games, like the Star Wars. Um, I believe it's called Rebellion board game. FFG very cleverly did an expansion pack um, that really, you know, brought out more aspects of the Star Wars universe in that game. I would love to see an expansion and just the way the tile system works and the encounters work. I think it'd be quite easy for them to do a new Vegas attachment as well. And I think that'd be great. Yeah. 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 Um, So that wasn't clear because I didn't read the rules and you set it all up. Did the face down tiles go down? Was the rest all dealt out randomly? So the, the, the map is kind of randomly positioned each time we play. Is that, how it works that is that is how it works so the landmarks are set but every time you go to play it the the rest of the random tiles are completely unknown um and so even though you only have as i said um four different ways to set up the map um when you're playing the game um two different ways of playing boston two different ways of playing dc um every time you play those you're going to get a different environment and you'll have different encounters because the things that you run into along the way are different um and they come out in a different order um i've played the commonwealth twice now and my experiences both times were wildly different um the things that i ran into um both the creatures and um, the some of the uh, encounters that I had with you know settlers or looters or just randoms you know roaming the place uh, were very different in a very surprisingly pleasant way. Um, I feel like this game has a lot of replayability because of that. Um, Although one thing I think you'll, that you'd never get back after playing the first time is that kind of that um, sense of meta unknowing in that. The very first time you play it, you don't even know what the tiles could have on them. So right. it seems 
it's very unknown. Whereas that won't be the case next time. Not that, not that I'm saying I like I'll definitely play it again. But um, once you played it again, once you played it once, you you got a good idea of the kinds of things to expect, That's and that true. might color your game a bit. That's true. Um, now, as you explore the wasteland, there are different places um, you can stop and you can, you know, check out. You can, you know, see if you can find loot in different places or settlements you can visit. Um, so there are different settlements, as I said. And once you get to one of these settlements or these ruins that you can explore and try and find loot um, or go on missions, um, quests, I believe they call them, uh, around the Commonwealth, um, there's a deck of cards for each type of environment that you're exploring. And every time you go to these places, you kind of flip the card. And because you are playing with a group of people, you hand your card to someone else and they read you sort of sort of a description of what happens. And then there's there it's like a choose your own adventure um, as far as, what you do and you actually role play the little scenario. I mean, it's very, it's role playing in a very limited and simple manner, but it also gives you an opportunity to make some really interesting choices. So, um, sorry, go ahead. So I thought I'd elaborate. The way we played it was that the, the person, um, having the encounter read to them, wasn't told what the potential risks or rewards were for an encounter. Just, the options were, were so that they could make a decision as a character rather than as a player. That's right. And so you, you had to actually think your way through it. Um, Tim, you are an active role player, like a regular role player. Um, I know this isn't proper role playing quote unquote. Um, how did you find that system? Did you feel like it gave you an experience that maybe was a little bit beyond what you might get in an average board game? Mm hmm. I, I sure did. I really love this part of the game. Uh, I've never played a board game where not only did you really have those role-playing options, like you mentioned, and as Drew, like you just described, we were playing it so that we didn't know what the outcomes of each option were going to be. So that added another element to it as a, a role-playing type part of the game and in addition to this what was really fantastic as we found as we went along is that an action that you'd taken in an earlier ruins or settlement for example played into the possible outcomes for a later role-playing scenario that would come up when you moved on to another location and so it allowed you to actually play your character in a particular way and start sort of shaping and fleshing out this character as a real person in this environment. I think I was playing a vault dweller. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up playing my character more like a um, a wide-eyed newbie in this wasteland that he'd been protected from all his life. And, and that... Uh, affected some of the options and outcomes later on in the game based on the actions that I played him as taking uh, earlier on during some of those first encounters. 
That's right. And the game was really clever in that um, as you have like your own little character card that you keep track of how much health, how much radiation, how much experience and what gear you have and all of that. Um, but the game's really clever in that it, oh, uh, how do I explain? It has little chits that you can add to your little board um, that will have you either, for example, idolized or, de- um, what's the opposite of idolized? Not demonized. I think um, it was vilified. Uh, vilified. 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 Um, statuses. Yeah. That's right. Statuses. That, And when you encountered certain cards... Um, your options to role play would sometimes be limited or you would be forced into an option that you may not want um, depending on what your status was. Um, my wife really liked that part of the game. Um, and she was playing the Brotherhood of Steel and the Power Armor, um, you know, the knight, and she was just walking through and she had a little song, and a little dance that she did and she was like, I'm killing all the guys, I'm killing all the guys. And she earned the vilified <laughs> Um, you know, tag pretty right away, but it, it, it completely changed the way that she played um, because a lot of the um, encounters that she had, she didn't actually really encounter them because it was, you know, people knew her by reputation and the characters, um, the NPCs acted accordingly. And it was really nice the way that the game was written um, so that there were, uh, you know, what you did mattered. There are consequences for what you do. Um, in a really interesting way. Go ahead. I think I think it was quite simple the way they, um, but the way that mechanic is managed, you know, just by a few simple chits that's sitting on your board, but makes it a fairly significant change as to how the game's going to play for you um, to make it that much more uh, relevant to your character. So just that little vilified chit changed things a lot for um, for your wife um, and. It, it, I had the same thing on my character because I was playing the ghoul um, and I started with that, that shit. I was able to sort of shake it off later on in the game, but I started with that option of no, no one likes you. So I deal with it to be with. That's right. Yeah. And it, I guess it's tough to be a ghoul. Meanwhile, I was playing the super mutant. And at one point I found uh, farmers that were using super mutant slaves and I didn't have any option other than the fact that they were charging at me to enslave me. And I was like, all right, no way, buddy. I'm going to get out of this situation. And I had to fight my way free. And I thought it was cool the way the game was written that way. Um, and as you say, it's, it's not a huge elaborate system, but it definitely, there's consequences. Now, one of the ways that I really liked how the mecha- mechanically this game works is you know, there's there's a lot of different cards. There's over 250 uh, encounter cards. Um, so, I mean, clearly there's a lot of story that you can play through. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, choose your own adventure like choices you can make along the way. They really, you know, shape the way the game goes. And at the end of every card, it'll say, you know, put this card away, trash this card then pull out another card, pull out these three cards, and then get rid of these two cards because the choices you've made have eliminated them, the possibility of them happening. And so at the end of the game, you'd have this big pile of cards that never happened because of the choices that you made. But if you wanted to play the game another way, um, you would have the opportunity to have those happen. Again, I really think it adds to the playability of the game so you can play a different manner um, and you can still win. And it's just, it, it's a very different experience, even though you may be using the same map and the same characters, which I really enjoy, just making different choices. Um, just, 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 we there mentioned 
um, winning, and so it might be, might be worth pointing out to anyone that, that hasn't played this game yet. It is a um, it, it's not a it's not a strictly cooperative game. There is a a winner, so to speak, out of, mm. well, out of the players, but the game can beat everyone. Yeah, that's so th- there is a winner or everyone loses. That's right, and the the factions can the the, the factions that are vying um, in each you know scenario that you're playing um can become so powerful that they take over and all of a sudden you lose um not necessarily that you lose but your um, actions become inconsequential compared to what they're able to do whereas you know your actions may cause them to come into prominence so towards the end of the game you need to be careful in particular um to make sure that you don't automatically lose um, by performing an action that will cause a particular faction to rise to such prominence that they can't be stopped. Um, I thought that was a really neat mechanic. Um, Tim, what'd you think about that? I mean, that was sort of a new mechanic for you. That mechanic, <clears throat> excuse me, that mechanic and the other things that you and Drew have been talking about for the last few minutes were... The, the word that's consistently come up was simple. And that's, I think, the great thing that FFG have done with this game is they've created what, or us as the players, found to be relatively simple mechanics. But they provided so much variation, not just for how we found the game first time round and discovered it, but also in its replayability. You can replay your different characters uh, as you know, the, all of the different ones like the Brotherhood of Steel or your Ghoul or your Vault Dweller, for example. Uh, you can play each of them with different characteristics and statistics that they get mm-hmm. randomly generated at the start of the game. You've got all of the different uh, layouts of the tiles that you then have to explore. You've got all of your different role-playing and and um, scenario cards. There are so many variations on this. The word that you used earlier was choose your own adventure, but mm-hmm. it's so much more than that. And the replayability... Uh, I don't know the word to use options is the simplest word but it just doesn't go far enough to describe it right are really amazing and at the same time once again simple mechanics it's the best of both i'd agree uh, yep. one of the oh sorry drew did you want to say something no it's just i was just agreeing right on well um well, let's let's quickly get into a couple of the other mechanics because we've talked about how you explore a little bit we've talked about um, how encountering works, how exploring works, and how there are consequences. Um, but let's talk about some of the other important mechanics for the game. So one of the other neat things are th- how the dice work. Now, I was expecting, this being a fantasy fight game, I was expecting a million counters, and I was not surprised. Um, I expected a lot of cards, and I was not surprised. I expected some nice quality miniatures um, in the box. I was not surprised. I was very surprised that there was only three dice in the entire box. Now, what's really clever about, um, and again, it just goes back to what we've been talking about, simple, simplicity. 
there are three identical six-sided dice. Now, they don't have any numbers on them. Now, those of you who are familiar with the Fallout game know that um, when you use your Pip-Boy, which is the wrist-mounted computer, which is how you do a lot of your character management in the video game, well, first of all, the, how you control your, your card, your character card off the board on the board game um, is shaped like your Pip-Boy. Um, and you have the same uh, skills, um, and you can skill up and as you level up in your experience. You can be stronger or more agile or luckier. The same um, things are in both the video game and the board game. I thought that was a nice touch. But um, the dice in particular, if you use the quote-unquote VATS targeting system in the video game, which helps you to aim your gun... Um, there will be a little like outline of what you're trying to shoot at, and it will highlight particular body parts. Now, that's what's on each side of the dice, not a number. There is just a little outline of the Fallout guy, and different parts of his body are highlighted. Um, you know, on one, his arms are highlighted, another, his torso, on another one, everything but his head, on another one, just his head, on another one, his legs, that sort of thing. And on a couple of different faces there you will see a a pip or a little you know bullet hole in a corner or two and everything that you do in the game comes down to the number of pips that come up on the dice or uh, you target particular parts of the body um and what i find really interesting is normally if you're doing combat in a game system you roll a set of dice to hit. Then you roll a set of dice to wound. And then maybe they roll their dice to swing back. And they roll to damage you and that sort of thing. Combat in Fallout is resolved. You roll the dice and that's it. Um, if Where you hit them is the body parts that are lit up. And the number of times they hit you back are the, like the bullet holes in the corners. And so combat's very simple. But... It can be very deadly, um, and it it is really it really feels like the video game. Certain things are really hard to hit, um, depending on you know the body part that you're trying to hit. There's different probabilities, um, and it, it just combat is always one of those things that you go into and go, can I pull this off? Um, especially if you're unarmored, uh, Drew. Would you agree with what I'm saying? Am I explaining this right? Uh, yeah, I think, I think you've got it right so far. Um, yeah, I, I found it because I, I liked the simplicity of it. I found it because there was only one set of dice. Um, it was very swingy. Like there was, yeah, there was, there, there wasn't so much of that middle ground. Like, oh, I didn't hit that hard, but I didn't get hit back that hard. It's kind of, well, it's always, if you did a lot of damage, then chances are you got a lot of damage back as well. But, that was kind of that was kind of fair, I guess. Yeah, particular combats were deadlier than others. Um, Tim, what do you think about that system? Yeah, I I agree with your description. It's uh, very simple, uh, easy, one roll, then you know what damage you did and took in return. Uh, one thing that I liked about the abilities on your, I think you said that was a Pip-Boy display mm -hmm. type card that we had, was that some of those abilities allowed you to re-roll some, right. some or all of your dice. So that meant that sometimes in combat, 
if you didn't do so well and you had the ability available, uh, you could um, have a second go, for example, and maybe come out more favorably, or as I found out a few times, come out even worse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> And that's kind of how, as you level up, as you get more, uh, as you level up your attributes, as you become stronger, as you become more agile, um, depending on what you're trying to pull off, um, it would allow you to re-roll to successfully pass tests. Um, let's say you're trying to swing across a ravine, um, you would have a chance to have a re-roll if you had the right agility. Um, if you happen to have the agility perk, if you've earned that through experience, and if you screwed up your roll, you get to re-roll it. Um, and it the different items you can pick up, and I mean, what it wouldn't be Fallout unless you were looting everything you could get your grubby paws on and collecting bottle caps, which is the currency in the game, um, and you know, trying to buy and sell and just go through that whole process. And I really liked how um, the items that you got uh, had consequence; they helped you in what you needed to do. But just like in the game. In the video game, you can only carry a limited amount before you're overloaded. And this happened in the board game. You're limited on the number of cards. And, man, it you have to make some hard choices. Um, and sometimes you're like, well, I could really use this bit. Or I could really use that. Oh, what do I do now? And once you've discarded something, it's gone for good. So, yeah, it was, it was an interesting... I, I liked how they were able to sort of port that over. Um, Drew, did you like that as well, or did you find that it didn't represent the game well? Um, from what I saw of everyone else, I think it's right. For some reason, I think I, the first time I got to a, a ruin that I could loot, the first card I pulled out didn't generate much loot. Maybe like one item, if that. And I just kind of thought that that's how generous the game was going to be with loot, so I've moved on. And then... The next person who went to that set of ruins and every other, you know, other sets of ruins got much more stuff, and I realised that I probably should have hung out and and uh, persisted. So I, my experience with having a lot of stuff just wasn't there. I only, I only had like one or two items at the end of the game, I think. Yeah, you did, but you had that character. Well, I think part of that was you had a character that because you were the ghoul. Um, one of the big things yeah. in this game is if you accrue radiation points, rads. Um, it actually lowers your health. Um, it actually de detracts from how how like if you, how many hits you can take before you die. Well, you had a limited number of health points to start with, but your rads never went up. Um, in fact, if you oh, go, they you. yeah, they healed you if if you went into radiation zone. So whereas the rest of us were you know trying to stay away from radiation and exploring ruins and going into towns. You were humping through, you know, the rough bush of the uh, the the wasteland, trying to find the most irradiated possible areas to just for, heal yourself for free. Um, and on one hand, that was a, a massive advantage to the ghoul character is that you were healed rather than hurt by radiation. On the other hand, though, it meant that you actually missed out on some of the exploration because you were, you know, going through irradiated zones. Right. I think it was kind of cool, like, as far as I know, you can't play as a ghoul in any of the games, at least not as a sort of main character or as a starting off character. Right. But I liked that I liked that the ghoul really kind of pushed me towards um, avoiding combat and hiding in the shadows and kind of just trying to pick off the, 
pick, pick things off, let, let everyone else do the, the heavy lifting or the, the heavy fighting mm-hmm. and just slink, slink around near the radiation, heal up. Because the ghoul had limited hit points, so I, you know, I, was, I wasn't great in a fight, but I, I was pretty good at licking my wounds after the fight. So <laughs> kind of had to pick my moments and, and jump in where necessary. But um, I think that worked. Really, I, I really liked that, the way I could play my character like that in, in this game. And I liked how you you played to that. I think all of us did um, during the course of our game. We actually played to the to to our uh, to the cards and the personality that we are going to. Um, and another thing. So I'm talking. I talked about how items help you. Um, one of the other things that you couldn't have Fallout. I mean, not only about you know finding junk and then turning it, scrapping it, and turning it into something useful, or you know finding a laser rifle and then scrapping together bullets for it. Um, or pulling bottle caps together to bribe someone to get some information about where you need to go. Um, and these are all things that happen both in vi- the video game and in the board game. Um, but a, a, an integral part, particularly of the later Fallout games, uh, Fallout 4 in particular um, is the one that I've been playing recently, all of the characters that you can have accompany you, so non-player character companions, um, all of them, from, even the ones from the downloadable content bonus, they're all in this game. Now, I did look through the deck. Um, while the game is designed to represent Boston and DC, uh, all of the companions are from Fallout 4, not Fallout 3. Um, and I was a little disappointed by that, but honestly, I don't think that bothers me too much um, because you, you literally get, you can encounter and then befriend any of them. Um, now, if you're playing an evil character, there are only some of those companions that will join you. If you're playing a goody two-shoes, there are only some of those companions that will join you. Um, and depending on your actions throughout your turn or how you play the game in general, um, they might stay with you for a little bit uh, or they might just leave right away. Uh, and I really liked that, again, it was just another way of telling you that there were consequences for the things that you do in the game. And that was cool. And you could end up, it wasn't that you had to play a goody-goody the whole time. If you wanted to play the bad character that's, you know, breaking all the rules and, you know, just being a horrible so-and-so, there's a buddy for you. There's something in there for you. Uh, and there's a quite a lot, in fact. And so it was really interesting. Uh, again, simple, but the way they did it, um, there was there was enough resources for no matter how you want to play it um tim what did you think about that yeah similar to drew's character uh who was i was i gotta say i was quite jealous of at some points because you were really soaking up all that radiation to get all those health points back (laughs) um That was fantastic. Um, but yeah, I didn't end up having a heap of resource resources or or tools or weapons or or even I didn't even get to a companion. But I did see them pop up uh, in, in the townships or in the loot roles that other people got. Um, and I thought there was good variety of different things that you could find or, or hire in the case of the companions. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't too much. It wasn't like you were just loaded down with stuff. It felt really did feel like every thing that you managed to get your hands on uh, was valuable because you really had to pay for it. 
uh, and it wasn't uh, like a bazaar where you could just go and pick up anything that you wanted cheaply or anything. It really did feel like what you got your hands on was something that you really needed and it was going to be really valuable and useful to you out in that in that wasteland. Agreed. Um, oh, man. I, okay. There is an elephant in the room that must be discussed. Um, my wife uh, has said repeatedly that um, she will only play a board game if it has an app. Um, Drew's <laughs> Mansions of Madness sort of uh, ruined it for her. Um, she, that was one of the first real board games she played. Uh, and uh, she said, well, I would say, hey, if you like that game, you'll like this game. And she went, does it have an app? And I was like, ah, oh, stop asking that. Does it have an app? Um, Drew, I know you have something to say about this. Um, why don't you tackle this before I talk about how my wife actually found playing this game? Um, so I, I mean, I've played two games, I think, ever with a, with a companion app, and I've liked both of them, um, XCOM and Manchester Man, so I thought they've both, they've both suited the play really well. Um, I found that Fallout, the board game, the, the, the nature of it, the, the way encounters are generated, the way the plotline unfolds and, mm-hmm. is, and is presented in a stack of cards with kind of go to this card or go to that card written on them, that lends itself completely to companion. The app is designed to just, you know, look up reference tables essentially and, and present things in the in the order that players encounter them. Um, I know that amongst the board game community, there's there's a bit of resistance to apps. So there's sort of too much of a blending of um, of video gaming and tabletop gaming, which apparently some people like to keep those two things very distinct, and, mm-hmm. and that's fair enough. But it's people's hobby, so like. They're entitled to those opinions. Absolutely. I quite like apps. I don't think apps I haven't seen one yet that detracts too much from game as as far as I as far as I'm concerned. I always like them. The other reason I can see FFG staying away from a companion app for this game is the fact that Fallout is a video game IP. And they might just be trying to keep this very distinct from the video games by having no electronic component, but certainly an app would be a no-brainer for me in terms of in terms of playing the game and uh, and presenting the that that random content that we were talking about before. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Although when I first thought about it, it seemed in my mind was that that whole well, of course an app would be great. This is a you know how can you complain about the marrying of a video game and a board game about a board game about a video game? But then um, I, I thought along what you were saying, and I think you're completely right. Um, I think they do need to sort of stay completely different because of um, the origins of this world, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Um, by the way, for those wondering, uh, Kirsten, who is not an avid board gamer, loved this game. Um, and uh, she said she would happily play it again sometime. So that is high praise. And I was very excited. Um, she loved the... I get I, the exploration aspect of this game. Um, she also liked the character building murdering aspect. Sorry, which one? The murdering aspect. Yeah, and the murdering aspect, and the fact that she was able to kill everything that moved. Um, uh, power turns out, kids, power armor helps. Um, so she never got the Gatling gun, uh, but she did start with the power armor, 
And man, armor makes a big difference in uh, preventing damage. And it just meant that while some of us were creeping away from, uh, you know, respawning uh, creatures of the wasteland or mutants or, uh, you know, raiders who are trying to, uh, you know, steal everything that you have and maybe even, you know, cannibals. Um, she was just walking through them and <laughs> collecting all the gear along the way. Uh, and hey, it turns out it worked really well for her. Um, and I think that's the way you were she, supposed to play that character. Sorry, go ahead. She, she eventually got a last gun, but oh, sorry, a laser rifle, mm-hmm. um, you know, 40k. But, um, but to begin with, she was just walking up and punching everything because she had no weapon, but she had the power arm, and apparently that was all she needed. Yeah. Yeah, our uh, catchphrase for that particular game ended up being murdering dudes. Yeah, murdering dudes, <laughs> murdering dudes, murdering, yeah. Uh, and so I, 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 because Kirsten did want um, a game that had an app, I, I went out of my way when we were playing to, uh, to get the soundtrack for Fallout playing in the background. And so we were listening to appropriate music, uh, be it theme music or some of the radio station music within game. Uh, and I think that helped too. It was just fun. Um, that was, and that was really good. Yeah. Had some good old snacks. I was going to try and get some Nuka Cola bottles that we could drink out of. But, um, in the end I just stuck with the music and some tasty snacks. And I think, look, it, it was not a short game. It took hours to play. Uh, but I, man, I really enjoyed the fallout board game and I'm looking forward to playing it again soon. Um, what were your, I guess, do you guys have anything that we haven't talked about that you... I, I kind of feel like we've covered most of the bases. Um, any final thoughts? Uh, Drew, do you want to go first? Um, probably not much else to add except for that. Well, no, no, nothing to add. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think it really captured the world. Um, and, and different parts of it. Like, yes, it was set in a, had a Fallout 4 setting, but it, it, for me, it included elements from all the games. Um, and to an extent, I found I was, even, I was able to role-play a little bit more than I can in the games, just be, uh, in some ways, like playing as that ghoul and being able to kind of avoid things. Um, so I, I think it's a really good game, and, and with the right group, I think, I think one would really, really, really enjoy this game. Tim, what did you think? Yeah, uh, I, I agree with, with your assessment. It really felt like, well not for me having not played the the video games not like fallout 4 but it certainly had that very real feel of being out in the wasteland not really knowing what's out there it had the elements of exploration uh it had role playing to a certain degree uh character development as part of that it really felt like I mentioned earlier that every bit of loot you got your hands on was valuable to you and that you really needed to use it the best you possibly could to survive. And the the way that the game played, it took a little while to catch onto some of the rules, but even then the the rules were so well developed that even though it took us a couple of rounds to really get the hang of things even during that opening phase it really still felt like you were concentrating on the game rather than being distracted by trying to figure all the rules out 
and it's certainly something that I'd love to play again. Uh, like you said, Drew, a great group of people with a great game, you're going to have hours of fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. Um, one thing that I was cognizant of, um, now that you guys may not have seen, um, I had done a dry run of the game with a friend who was in town <coughs> visiting, um, and so we had played right out of the rule book. I highly recommend, um, if you pick up this game, that you watch a couple of YouTube how-to-plays um, and quickly skim the how-to-play book. Um, as like a lot of other FFG board games, there's a how to play book, uh, and then there's sort of a book of rule clarifications. Uh, and normally, you know, I, I would, and the rule clarifications are only there when you get confused and they are really helpful. I'm really glad that that book exists because you're like, how does this work? And then you look it up in the index and it's all alphabetized. It's very clear. Um, and it answers your questions. It's great. But just to speed up gameplay, especially if you're playing with people who are not board gamey, um, I highly recommend um, just watching a few YouTube how-tos. There's some great videos if you just uh, Google search uh, Fallout FFG or Fallout board game um, on just the basic mechanics just so you get your head around them and you know what's going on that first turn. Uh, because uh, it really does speed up the game. And I don't think my wife would have enjoyed it nearly as much had I been flipping through the book the first couple of turns. Um, I had a pretty good idea of what was going on, only because I'd done a few minutes homework. Um, and, I, and I don't mean hours, I mean a few minutes. So uh, it's, it's definitely worth doing a tiny bit of preparation um, and setting up the game properly, uh, making sure that everything's in the right pile and in the right place. Uh, and then the game, being an FFG game, pretty much plays itself, um, which is great. Um, you know, you really do get lost in the actual playing of the game, not the where did this go, how does this work. Um, and I really enjoyed that. So, could I? Yeah. Could I make one more comment? I apologize. It might have been better places to put this. Um, one thing I found a bit kind of. Not, I didn't, not that I disliked, but a bit jarring, was the main quest line, which we're kind of all almost cooperatively working towards. But I felt, it felt a bit disjoint at times when Tim would accomplish something and I would suddenly have that knowledge and know to skip step A because Tim had already done that and go to step B, even yeah. though we weren't really working together, but it felt like the the main story quests progressed just a bit, a bit weirdly. I, I can't think of any better way to do it in the game when it's not a pure co-op, but right. it just felt a bit weird. No, yeah, I, I, I remember yeah, go ahead, that Tim. kind of um, it, uh, raising its head at some points when um, I was involved in one particular um, short quest line where I was in a vault and something happened there that affected the rest of the board. And I tried role playing it out so that I said, you know, I sent a broadcast out over the local area radio so that other people knew what was happening in this vault. But there, yeah, it wasn't really built into the game mechanics. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there was that. But uh, it's, it was. Uh, 
a small part of an otherwise great game that just felt a little bit jarring, but still it was just one small part of things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Drew. Um, I actually had that in my notes and I overlooked it. Um, if I was to say there was a, di- a, a, a downside to this game, I think that would be it. Um, yeah, that would definitely be it. That whole notion of everyone having sort of the same mission and progressing their way through. Now, there were multiple quests throughout the game. Uh, however, I, I, yeah, again, as Tim said, I don't think there was another way you could do that. Um, now, one other thing that should really be quickly mentioned before we call this a day is that you can play this game solo. And I really like that. Um, I really want to try it out, uh, and I'm hoping that maybe one of the days on the school holiday, uh, I will. Um, I'm just you can set it up and run through it yourself, uh, and I think that would. I mean, you, there's that element of not peeking to see what the consequences are on the cards. Um, you have to, you know, hold yourself to account and possibly have a little piece of paper and you slide it down the card so you know you your brain doesn't automatically you know flip down to read something you're not supposed to, but. I think that would be a really neat game. And unlike most games, I think it actually would work in solo play. Um, So I'm really excited about that. Um, Do I recommend this game? 100%. Um, I, I, you know, some people have been listening to the podcast and have said to me recently, Brad, you don't ever have a game on that you don't like. Um, Well, I'm sure I will at some point. But um, my grandmother is very famous for saying a couple of things. And one of the things that she says is, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. Now, I'm not saying that to say that I'm going to say nice things about everything that I review um, or games that I play. But I tend to play things that I'm going to like. And then I podcast about the things that I do like. Um, So my enthusiasm for the games that I'm playing often comes down to the fact that I really enjoyed playing them. And I love playing games. Um, I don't enjoy all the games that I played, but I tend to podcast about the ones that I do. Um, I like to spread, I like to put a positive spin on things. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Cast Dice. Um, if you would like to tell us whether or not you like this game or if you had a different experience or you want to find out more about Fallout the board game, uh, please find us on Facebook. Uh, all you have to do is type in Cast Dice, C-A-S-T, Dice, D-I-C-E, uh, and you will find a page called Land O Misfit Toys, home of the Cast Dice podcast. Uh, all you need to do is click message and message me. Uh, I do appreciate all the people that have been sending holiday messages uh, and sending well wishes. Uh, a lot of people have been enjoying uh, the fact that I've been taking advantage of the, the holidays and kicking out episodes, you know, sometimes twice a week. Um, the school year will be starting shortly, and that sadly will not continue. Um, hopefully though, we will get into a rhythm, uh, from February on where we will be putting out a podcast, hopefully maybe once every nine days. Um, I'm not going to be going back to the monthly, um, programs that we had before. There were three hours. I like to keep them short and sharp an hour to an hour and a half, uh, every week to two weeks, um, is the goal. So, Again, if there's a game you'd like us to talk about or if you have feelings about something that we've done today, uh, please send us a message. Now, I hope to have both of you guys on again sometime soon to talk about sculpting because we did not get to it today. And it's one of those things that I feel like we could probably spend an entire episode getting some tips and tricks from the masters. Um, 
Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on. It has been a pleasure. Uh, Tim, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Drew, thank you. Thank you very much. I look forward to the next time. Although, from the sounds of Tim's stuff, I'm not sure what I can contribute, but I will, I'll be there. Oh, man, both of you have a ton to contribute. Uh, especially how you've turned your sculpting ability into a whole business uh, for tasty things. But that's a whole other topic for another day. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to Cast Dice. Uh, again, contact us if you'd like to say anything. Uh, and regardless, I hope that wherever you are, you're staying warm or staying cool, depending on which hemisphere you're in. Ladies and gentlemen, good night. I'm gone.